following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Paradise Room. I'm Olivia Venable. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Matt's wife. I'm a mom of those two boys heading out to age 12 and 15. Um, I'm also a volunteer counselor here at the church. Pastor Josh is enjoying some well-deserved time away with his family this weekend, and so it's my privilege to wrap up the series that we've been in on parenting, raising today's kids to be tomorrow's thriving adults. We've covered several different topics related to parenting, and they're all available on explorecrc.com if you want to catch up on anything that you've missed. Today, I'll be speaking about boundaries in parenting, and this is a topic that I care a great deal about. As a counselor, I see the issue of boundaries come up over and over again. So often, conflicts between people, whether it's marriage, family, work, even groups of friends, so often those can be traced back to unhealthy boundaries. Individually, we deal with stress, anxiety, guilt, pressure. People just generally feel overwhelmed with life when we don't have healthy boundaries. So let me tell you, before we even get to talking about parenting, boundaries matter to God. They matter to God because he wants us to have a healthy and thriving life. He wants us to follow him by choice, compelled by love, not by guilt. He wants us to have healthy relationships. He wants us to grow in maturity and responsibility, and boundaries affect all these things. The Bible actually does talk about boundaries a lot in many different forms. God himself has boundaries. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he chose the boundaries of human form. He gave up his divinity while he was here. God is all-powerful, and yet he has chosen to give us free will, letting us make our own decisions, even when those decisions hurt others or harm ourselves, or break God's heart. Even in God's relationship with us, he establishes very clear boundaries. We often talk about God's unconditional love as if he has no boundaries with the way he relates to people. But if you read scripture, it's clear. He does set boundaries with us. He loves us no matter what. But almost every single promise in the Bible is conditional. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Or if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will hear their land. God has boundaries and he wants us to have boundaries too. Throughout scripture, God actually gives a lot of instruction regarding boundaries. When it talks about the nation of Israel and how they're supposed to behave as a community, or when it talks about the emerging church in the New Testament, the body of Christ, and how we're supposed to treat each other. When the Bible talks about our individual responsibilities in marriage, or as parents, or as leaders, that all has to do with boundaries. But unfortunately, boundaries are still very often misunderstood, or misused, or just never really talked about. People often mistake boundaries for walls to keep themselves safe from ever being hurt. Or they view boundaries as a tool to be able to change or manipulate someone else's behavior. If we're not intentional about setting and keeping our own healthy boundaries, then our relationships and our behaviors happen more by reaction than by our choices. Boundaries matter. 
They matter to God, and he wants them to matter to us. Boundaries help us to live in health and to grow in maturity. A lack of healthy boundaries interferes with our relationships and our parenting, and it keeps us from thriving in God's will. Boundaries are often built into God's commands, but we can miss it when we're focused on just one little aspect. Like God commands us to be loving and generous, to put others before ourselves. Yes, absolutely. But God also commands us to take care of ourselves, take care of our family, to be wise and responsible with what he's given us. Galatians 6 is an excellent example because it talks about both what is and what is not your responsibility. Looks like we're maybe having a little trouble <laughs> with the notes, sorry. I'm at Galatians 6, but it's also all in your notes with no fill in the blank, so you can just follow along. Um, Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. But just a few verses later, Galatians 6, 5 says, each one should carry their own load. So which is it? Carry each other's or carry your own? As Christians, it is good and right to help carry each other's burdens, to help each other through difficult times. But there's a difference between burden and load. A burden is something beyond what you should be expected to carry by yourself. You need help. And in loving relationships, we are happy to help each other. But a load is considered a personal responsibility. Your pack, your provisions, the stuff that every person should be reasonably expected to carry and deal with on their own. So unhealthy boundaries occur either when we choose not to handle our own responsibilities and we expect others to carry them for us, or when we choose to take on someone else's personal responsibilities that they should be handling themselves. Or lastly, when we are struggling alone under a burden that is too big for us to handle ourselves, and yet we refuse help or we refuse to acknowledge our limitations. God wants us to be responsible for ourselves and responsible to each other. The Bible describes multiple ways in which we are supposed to be responsible to each other. Romans 12.5 says that as members of the body of Christ, we belong to each other. God has given us commands to love each other, to take care of each other, to even confront and correct each other. But we cannot control each other. Even within the closest and most intimate and most committed relationships, like marriage or like parenting, there are still boundaries. You can't control another person's feelings, thoughts, words, or actions, no matter how close you are. You cannot make someone love you more. You cannot make someone feel remorseful. You cannot make someone forgive you. You cannot change their behavior, their beliefs, or their feelings. That's within their own personal boundaries. So before we talk about boundaries in parenting specifically, let's first get a really clear understanding of what boundaries are, what they're for, and who they're for. Boundaries very simply means borders or limits. Boundaries around my property show what belongs to me, what is my responsibility, and what is not. Boundaries in the workplace may include limits of what is appropriate or acceptable clothing or talk or behavior and what is not. It does get a little harder to visualize when we're talking about boundaries and relationships, but it's the same idea. Boundaries are the border between what is and what is not me, mine, my responsibility. 
Now clearly people are way more complicated than property, so boundaries in relationships is a much more mysterious topic. All people are different and every person will have different boundaries for different relationships. So there's not one simple list. There's no universal 10 commandments that say these are the healthy boundaries. <laughs> I know, I wish, right? <laughs> Rather, it's an ongoing process of figuring out who you are, who you are not, who God has called you to be, and what limits you need to set on yourself and around yourself to help you become that person. So what are boundaries for? They are for defining and protecting what is yours. Now, when I say what is yours, I'm not talking just about possessions. It's your identity, your values, your priorities, your passions, your relationships, your family, your faith. That's what you want to define and protect with healthy boundaries. The book, Boundaries, by Cloud and Townsend, is a classic bestseller. There's over two million copies sold now. It's one of the best books out there about setting and understanding personal boundaries, and I recommend it for absolutely everyone. But even the subtitle of the book can be a little bit misleading. It's called Boundaries, When to Say Yes, How to Say No, to Take Control of Your Life. That can make it seem like boundaries is all about setting rules. You say yes to these things, you say no to those things, and bam, healthy life. And while that very practical advice is so needed for so many people, the boundaries themselves are not the end game. The boundaries themselves are not what gives you a healthy life. The healthy life is what is within those boundaries. It's the things that you choose to prioritize and value and protect. That's what boundaries are for. So that's the definition and the purpose. But it's also important to answer one more question. Who are boundaries for? Simply put, your boundaries are always for you. They are your own. Setting and keeping them is your responsibility and within your control. What you will and won't do with your body, your feelings, your thoughts, your behaviors, those are all things that, are solely, that you are solely responsible for. It's the idea that you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it. Unfair, unpredictable, and painful circumstances will still happen, but you are responsible for who you will be and how you will respond. Boundaries are not supposed to be a fortress to keep you safe from ever being harmed. They are not a tool to change other people. They are for you to take ownership of what is your responsibility, as well as to help you let go of what is not. Just like we saw in Galatians 6, carry your own load. You might think this sounds a little selfish, sounds a little unchristian, it sounds like take care of your own self and don't worry about anyone else. But that's the wrong wording. Replace take care of with control, and it sounds better. Your boundaries are for you. Control your own self. Don't try to control anyone else. And that makes more sense, right? God wants us to be in control just of ourselves. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Walls broken through, that's boundaries broken down. When we are in control of ourselves, when we are clear on our roles and our responsibilities, we are free to love others better. Having healthy boundaries 
and loving others as God commands us to do, they are not mutually exclusive. Boundaries are for you means that the standards and limits and priorities that we set are for us and about us, not about things that aren't ours to control. So I hope that clarifies and maybe puts some minds at ease about this working definition. Boundaries are limits we set to define and protect what is ours. You guys with me on that? I hope so, because I'm going to keep going. <laughs> All right, so now let's start to talk about the unique subject of boundaries and parenting, because what we are and are not responsible for with our kids is different than every other relationship. With our children, we are responsible, even legally responsible, for the well-being and even the actions of another person. But what exactly that responsibility covers is constantly changing with their age and stage of life. So for the rest of this talk, I'm going to narrow in on some of those unique boundary issues that apply to parenting. I have six points. I know it sounds like a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this isn't a checklist. It's not a step-by-step -step guide to raising the perfect child. It's just six important points to keep in mind as we deal with this subject of boundaries and parenting. The first is this, know your goal. Remember that boundaries themselves are not the reward. What matters is what do those boundaries protect? What's their purpose? Just a few weeks ago, Josh spoke about the goal of parenting and he defined it as creating a relational environment where our children's identity and self-worth in Jesus is nurtured. That's a great goal and it will not happen by accident. You can bet that creating that kind of environment will take some boundaries. It takes limits, it takes prioritizing, it takes protecting. You could also say that the goal of parenting is to raise an adult. Hope, not just any adult, hopefully a healthy, kind, wise, thriving in Christ adult. Boundaries then exist for the guidance and the protection of that goal. We don't just set rules because we're the parents and we get to, it's our turn. No, we need to think through the purpose of each boundary, each rule, each lesson, and ask, what is it for? Is this contributing to an environment where my kid can grow in Christ, in health, in wisdom, and in love? Second, boundaries can and should change to be age and stage appropriate. Boundaries can change, that's true generally, not just for parents. As your goals change, as you grow in maturity, as your circumstances change, it is always okay to reevaluate and change your boundaries as needed. But as parents, it's really important to realize that your boundaries need to change as your kids get older. If you are still parenting your 16-year-old the same way you did when they were six, I'm sorry, you're doing something wrong. This is one of the hardest things to recognize as a parent, though, because the change is constant but slow and it's full of both growth and setbacks. The journey of parenting takes you being, from being fully responsible for a completely dependent baby all the way to completely releasing control of an independent adult. And this is a decades-long process navigated by imperfect people with high emotional investment. It's going to be messy. It's going to be complicated. So I want to spend a little extra time on this one, showing what boundaries can look like at those different ages and stages. 
Research has shown that in the first few months of a baby's life, they have no sense of self or other. In their mind, you are simply an extension of them. And this helpless little bundle is 100% dependent on other people just to stay alive. They don't understand that mom is a separate being, that she needs rest, that she needs food, that she needs to use the restroom. They don't know that, but mom does. And so even while that baby is 100% depend dependent on you and 100% your responsibility, you still have to set boundaries. You have to sometimes let them cry it out so you can take a shower. You need to say, I need some baby-free time to sleep or I will become a danger to myself and my family. That's the kind of early boundary setting that is absolutely essential to both the parents and the children. Very quickly, babies begin to learn that they are separate from you. By the time they're one year old, they can understand no, wait, don't. And by the time they're two, they're trying those words out on you. They are quickly learning that they are separate, independent beings, but they are still your responsibility to care for, to protect, to teach. And so even as toddlers, we are teaching them boundaries. And even as toddlers, it matters that they learn not just the rules, but the reasons why. It's the difference between no, stop that, and no, we don't throw rocks at people because it hurts them. Or no, we don't run out into the parking lot because it's very dangerous. The why matters, even at two years old. Now at that age, it doesn't matter if you convince them or not because they are still your responsibility to control. That's why we childproof. That's why we hold their hand. Because they're not old enough to decide on their own what's best for them. But they are old enough to start to value why the reasons, the rules are what they are. As they grow, the goals keep changing. At first, our goals are to keep them alive and safe. And then it's teaching them basic living skills. And then they move on to social skills and moral and character development. They need to learn self-responsibility, figure out their own identity, and develop their own personal boundaries. So our job becomes more and more to teach, model, and then let go so they can do it themselves. I had a recent argument with my youngest, Alex, <laughs> that once it was over, it made me laugh a bit at just what a constant process this is. It was Sunday morning, not today, but just a couple weeks ago, and I asked him to go take a shower. This launched a ridiculously long debate. All of his reasons and excuses of why he didn't have to, because it hasn't been two days yet, and because he would take a shower that night, and me trying to reason him into it. If you're sweaty and smelly, you need it earlier. And we shower for the benefit of other people. Showering after church doesn't help. <sighs> I could have just put my foot down and told him that he had to, but he's 12 years old. I don't want to force him at this point. I want him to care enough about his own hygiene to make the right choices on his own. So after a very frustrating 20 minutes, his older brother Isaac came downstairs, ready for church, and asked if he could have some sugar cereal. We call it dessert cereal because they can have it for a snack or dessert um, after they've eaten something healthy or done what we've asked. So Alex immediately asked if he could have some dessert cereal. And I said, why? You've just spent the last 20 minutes saying to no to me about a simple thing that is healthy for you and something you need to do. And now you want me to say yes to something that's not healthy and you don't need at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. 
and he was mad. <laughs> so I tried to reason with him again. If you do what I'm asking, go take a quick shower. You will have time for dessert cereal afterwards. That's not fair. And the excuses started all over again. That's it, I said. I'm done with this conversation. I'm going upstairs to get ready for church. And I left. Less than five minutes later, guess who's in the shower? <laughs> this is what it looks like. Setting boundaries with growing, changing, and independent but not yet mature kids. There are times when you lay down the law and you expect obedience. There are times when you need them to make the right decision on their own. There are times when you can appeal to their logic and reason and good nature, and there are times when that won't work at all, and consequences are the only thing that will move them. It takes trial and error. It takes patience. It takes reevaluating and changing your approach. All right, points three and four I put together. They are two sides of the same coin. If we do not loosen our boundaries, our children will not develop their own. And if we intervene in their consequences, we prevent them from learning. I put these two together because we often try to do one piece of this and not the other. We need to allow them to grow in independence and allow them to experience the consequences of their choices. They have to go hand in hand. If we're giving them free reign over their lives and yet we're absorbing all their consequences, that's a recipe for disaster. We don't release control all at once. We do it gradually and as they show that they're ready, but we do have to release control. If they don't learn how to make decisions, how to prioritize, how to take care of what's theirs while they're under our care, they won't know how to do these things when they're on their own. If we never give them the freedom and encouragement to figure out their own beliefs, they won't know what they believe when they leave our home. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and encouragement, and it takes learning from you. But if we do not loosen our boundaries, they will not develop their own. As we give them that independence, things can get bumpy. They're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. A lot of very important learning comes from making mistakes. And since their growing independence is gradual, it's okay for the consequences to be gradual as well. We don't charge a five-year-old the cost of repairing a neighbor's car that they might have scratched up. We might ask them to make a sincere apology and let them know it's going to cost us some money to fix it. But a teenager that scratches up their neighbor's car should have more responsibility and so should have a greater consequence. It's okay to be their safety net, but a safety net prevents death or injury. A safety net does not keep you from recognizing that you fell. As much as we want to protect and shield them from any harm or heartbreak, we also know that in order to learn, to grow in faith and character, they have to experience the consequences of their own choices. Proverbs 13, 24 says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. The Bible doesn't beat around the bush here. It doesn't say, I know consequences can be really harsh and no one really likes to be the bad guy. No, it says you must hate your children if you don't care enough to discipline them. Letting them experience and learn from consequences is the loving choice. All right, number five. It is more important to pass on your values than to enforce obedience. I'm going to repeat that one. It's more important to pass on your values than enforce 
obedience. This one can so often be overlooked. It's so easy in the busy day-to-day life to get caught up in obedience. Did you do your chores? Did you do your homework? Don't mouth off at me. Do what I said. And the parent-child relationship turns into this never-ending struggle between what I want versus what they want. And this is what we default to when we're not intentional in our parenting. But if we think about it, if someone were to ask us, what do you want your kids to be like, I'm pretty sure we'd come up with some qualities other than just obedient. The things that matter most to us, whether it's faith, generosity, kindness, responsibility, these are the things that we want to matter most to our children. And if we're being intentional about it, we start teaching them these values pretty early on. How to be a good sibling, how to be a good friend, um, how to take care of your things. We start teaching them by having very basic rules and routines that reflect these values. Like we pick up our toys before we watch TV. We pray to God before we go to sleep. When your kids are still pretty young, obedience itself is a value and rules are pretty easy to enforce. But in the teen years, that all changes. Teenagers are forming their own ideas about their identity, their values, their beliefs. And while they live under your authority, obedience is still a factor but its enforceability has a very limited number of years left, and they know it. And so passing on your values becomes infinitely more important than enforcing obedience. The why really matters more than the what. As parents, we can get aggravated by the why question, especially when we're in a hurry, or that child just tends to resist every single thing you ask them to do. And the cliche response is, because I said so or I'm the mom, that's why. Again, there is a time and place for those lines. I have used them myself many times. But if your goal is to pass on your values, those lines don't work. Even if your child is completely obedient and unquestioning, that doesn't mean you've passed on your values. The why matters. It helps them to understand you, your priorities, your decision-making, And then they have a chance to decide for themselves whether or not they agree with that value. They may still fight you on the rules, but if you've explained your values, if you've explained your heart behind the rules, and they sense love and care and thoughtfulness behind that, then they can embrace your values, even if they may want to live them out a little differently. Imagine this very common scenario. Your teenage daughter wants to stay out two hours past curfew. She asks, you say no. She screams about how unfair life is. You say life's not fair, and the night ends in slammed doors and frustration. Happens all the time. But what if both sides talked about the why? What if they made a goal of understanding each other regardless of the final decision? The parent might find out that one of her daughter's closest friends is unexpectedly moving, and this late-night party is really just a send-off right before she goes to the airport. The daughter might find out that her parents aren't cruel and controlling, but that they set late-night driving limits on her because the risk of accident increases dramatically. And in fact, she's not even legally allowed to drive past midnight without a parent. Once they understand each other, possibilities open up. And it doesn't really matter what solution they decide on. What matters more is that both sides feel heard, understood, respected. And the daughter is far more likely to embrace or appreciate her parents' value of her safety 
rather than just resist the rules. Sometimes there are values that we care so desperately about, we try to force them. Following God is the easy example for Christians because it's the most important thing in our lives. It's the number one thing that we care about for our kids' lives. But when we try to force our values without explanation, without understanding, without first emphasizing the love and acceptance of that child, you will usually end up with resistance and rebellion. 1 John 4, 18 and 19 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he, God, first loved us. We want our kids to embrace our values, embrace our God out of love, not fear. If you want to pass on your values, the why matters more than the what. When we share our faith with others, we tell our story. We share what God means to us. But have you shared it that way with your kids? Do they know your story? Or do they just know we come to church because that's the rule? If you want them to share your values, be sure that your growing teenagers understand the why. And my last point, let go of what is not yours. All of parenting is an exercise in letting go, but I want to talk here specifically about adult children. Even the term adult children is a little fuzzy. I mean, 18 years old, you are legally independent, but they might still be living in your home or dependence on your insurance for years after that. We know that the brain is continuing to, to develop all the way until age 25. So while adulthood may be more of a progression than a milestone, there still needs to be a significant shift in the parent-child relationship. There needs to be a point where you decidedly let them go. And to have a healthy adult relationship with your children, there still needs to be boundaries. The Bible is clear about that from the very beginning. Genesis 2 speaks about marriage and says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That's boundaries. That's saying very clearly, I am no longer a part of this household unit. I am part of a new unit, a new identity, a new responsibility that requires leaving one to join another. Getting there, getting to that fully independent, financially stable, responsible for their own home and family, that might take a while. But once they're there, it is very important for parents to realize that your child is not your responsibility anymore and that they are not under your authority. Exodus 20:12 says to honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It applies to all of us. No matter our age, we should always honor our parents. But when Paul writes in Ephesians and Colossians, children obey your parents, he's speaking about children in the home of their parents, under their authority. It's not a lifelong command. So if you want to have a healthy adult relationship with your adult children, you need to release them, to let them go, to make their own decisions and live their life by those choices, whether you approve or not. And if you've gotten there by a process of lovingly passing on your values and being respectful of their choices, then your influence and involvement in their lives will always be welcome. So what if your children, your adult children, are not independent, 
not mature, not responsible, not thriving in Christ the way you hoped and raised them to be? How long are you responsible for the choices of your children? What is and what is not your responsibility? That's where this fuzzy line of adulthood comes in. If they're 18 and struggling to find their gifts and their passions, that's probably not the time to kick them out of the house and say, figure it out. But if they're living in a way that's dependent on you and they're not in school, not working, not looking for a way to be productive or to live in response to God's calling, and you think at this point they should be, then you need to ask whether your choice to allow that dependency is helping or harming. Remember that when you intervene by preventing consequences, you prevent them from learning. You take away that felt need for change. You take on a load that's not yours to take, and it harms both you and your child. So how do you know? How do you know if you're enabling or if you're being a loving and merciful safety net? Well, ask. Are they learning? Are they growing? Are they changing? Or are they comfortable? Are they treating that safety net like a hammock? That's how you know. What if they are independent and responsible in all ways except the one you most care about? They are not following Christ. One of the most popular and memorized verses about parenting is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's actually the New King James Version. That's what I hear most quoted. The NIV says it this way. Start children off the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. It's a very comforting verse, especially when you are raising your young children in the faith. But what if they are not following the Lord? What if they have rejected the church and faith altogether? First... Ask, what is your responsibility? Is there something on your end of the relationship that you can take ownership of? Something you need to better share with them? Some way you need to reach out and connect better with your child? Then do it. Take ownership of whatever it is God is asking you to do. But what isn't your responsibility? The faith and salvation of your child. That is not in your control and God didn't intend it to be. Proverbs 22.6, all of Proverbs really, is wisdom, divine advice and principles, but not promises. Sometimes parents can cling to that verse as a promise, as a guarantee, that if we do all the right things when our children are little, then we are guaranteed they will follow Christ as adults. And so what happens when they don't? Shame, doubt, condemnation, I failed. It must be my fault because God promised that if I did things right, my kids would follow him. No. Proverbs aren't promises. They're wisdom. They present the best way to live, the best choices to make, but they don't guarantee the outcome. It is good and wise and loving to raise our children in the way of following Jesus. And if we raise them that way, it will always be a part of them. They will have the ability to keep following that path. But the verse itself says, start them off when they are children. That implies there is a point where we let them go. Just like holding on to the back of the bike the first time they ride with, without training wheels, you start them off. You hold on for a little while, giving them guidance and stability. 
but eventually you have to let go and let them learn to ride themselves. They may wobble, they may crash, but you've taught them the way and they can continue to learn on their own. God granted each of us free will. We can choose whether or not to obey God, to honor him, to love him. We know that we have a choice. Why do we think that by our actions we can rob our children of that choice? Do we really believe that God gave us free will but also made a loophole so that we can control our children's faith? No. So let go of what is not in your control. We cannot force our children's faith. We cannot manipulate them into the best life choices. And we should not shield them from the consequences of their actions. So what can we do? When your adult child is a prodigal or when they are drowning in bad choices, we can pray. We can lift them up and release them to the one who is in control, the one who has only good and pure intentions towards us, the one who can redeem all things for good. Prayer is the most powerful thing you can do for your child, even if the relationship is at its worst, even if they don't want to hear your perspective and don't care about your values even if they are so far lost to their own addictions or heartaches that you can't recognize them, God does. God sees them, God knows them, and he loves them better than any parent has ever loved their child. And he has given us the ability and the responsibility and the gift of setting boundaries for the benefit of both ourselves and our children. Dear Father, we thank you so much for loving us with mercy and with wisdom. Help us to love our children the way you love us. Help us to see where unhealthy boundaries may be causing harm to us or to others. Guide us as we learn to set and keep healthy boundaries that honor you. Grant us wisdom, peace, and healing for wherever we are in this journey. And be with us and be with all the families that are represented here today. In Jesus' name.